Hello there, and welcome to the Racing Home podcast, brought to you by Women in Racing and Simply Racing, with support from the Racing Foundation and Kindred Group. I'm Naomi Mella, an equine vet and podcast producer, and in this podcast, we're talking about work and family. It's challenging being a parent, whoever you are and whatever you do, and it's particularly challenging being a parent when you work in horse racing. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. So how can we best help people manage being both great parents and valued members of the racing family? Following the Racing Home Research Project, in this podcast we'll be exploring ideas around parenthood and career progression and how to do things differently. I'll be talking to trainers, jockeys, physiotherapists and a host of the sport's experts and decision makers about their experiences, their stories and how together we can shape a positive future for all families in horse racing. My guests in this episode employ 28 people between them and have been recognised at the Lycett's Team Champion Awards for their excellent work in recruitment and development of their staff. They are Andrea O'Keefe, who with her husband Jed and their three sons, who are all employed in the business, run a yard of flat and national hunt horses in North Yorkshire. And Claire Kubler, who trains flat horses in partnership with her husband Dan in Lambourne. In this episode, we're discussing parenthood from the perspective of a training yard, including how Andrea and Claire have navigated the traditional hours in a yard and adapted them to fit with the needs of their team, and how their experiences elsewhere in business have equipped them to think outside the box and retain experienced, loyal staff. Claire and Andrea are both thoughtful, intelligent women that shared a lot of their own experiences with me as part of this episode, and a great deal of wisdom too, so I'm really grateful to them. Their insights on how things can be done with good communication and the will to do so is really refreshing. You've both got part-time staff as well as full-time. And I think one of the things that came up out of the research um, from Oxford Brooks and in the workshops that we did was this idea of a degree of inflexibility in racing around hours and the hours being a problem you know obviously traditionally it's been very early morning starts and kind of split shifts with morning stables and afternoon stables and um, in certain racing areas childcare and wraparound childcare in particular for racing hours is is really difficult to come by how have you guys kind of made the hours work with staff have you offered flexibility or have you had any kind of um new or novel approaches Andrea you said some of yours were on kind of different working hours I was the first person employed in the business um, to have children. Before I had my first child, I actually had two jobs. uh, So I had um, a background in education as well. So I was doing that alongside the job that I was doing uh, full time here. So kind of two full time jobs, but obviously left, left that job when I had my first child. I obviously was the first person to be pregnant. So I only had my experiences and how that worked with the business. Now, obviously, it's it's 24-7, 365 days a year. And although the working patterns historically have been this split shift, um, horses actually need care and their racing activities uh, occur at different times in the day. Not every aspect of the work fits into those working patterns, those split shift patterns. There's lots of work to do outside of that split shift pattern. So straight away, we started looking at, well, okay, um, when 
good people and people that you want to retain in the business who have that wealth of experience and expertise to keep them in the business we need to work with them to uh, come up with things that work because we're only going to allow them to continue to be involved and we're only going to be able to work with them um, and get the best from them if we look at modifying the hours so that's what we did really so I didn't get maternity leave as such um well I didn't at all actually but you know so so you you juggle and you work at the same time there are all kinds of massive financial implications that I learned from my own experience and the you know things like affecting your pension and so on there are so many things that we probably wouldn't have time to go to into now <laughs> but I, basically learning from my own experience I then wanted to make sure that the experience of our employees was better uh, in every respect and that all aspects of their maternity their employment um, their well-being at work was properly uh, catered for so the next person to go off was our assistant trainer um, she joined us at 16 Leanne Kershaw worked for other people over the last uh, 20 years for very short periods of time, but come back to us at the next level each time. So having joined us as our apprentice at 16, she's now our assistant trainer. And when she was um, announced a pregnancy, we're absolutely thrilled for her because at the end of the day, we're happy for people. Um, You know, families are, are the most important aspects of everybody's lives um, at the end of the day people at work it is their job and it, and it and it should be secondary in terms of that person and their well-being um, so um, we're absolutely thrilled for her personally and we did not want to lose her and should she if she wanted to return following maternity leave back to the business we want to make sure that we we absolutely could retain this fabulous member of, of, of our team You can hear the genuine warmth in Andrea's voice as she talks about Leanne announcing her pregnancy. And it was really clear from this conversation that Andrea and Jed wanted to do everything possible to make Leanne's return as easy and smooth as they could. No wonder when a member of staff has been with you for over 20 years on and off. The skills and expertise that someone like that brings is unparalleled. And let's face it, hard to come by these days. But how did they practically go about making it work? When someone's pregnant, the whole process uh, is that dialogue from the start, from the day that they, you know, that they can feel that they can tell you they're pregnant and uh, that it can be a, a matter for celebration when they want to share that news with everybody. But then obviously protecting the mother and the unborn child, um, you know, was absolutely crucial. And then in terms of working hours... Leanne, as her daughter is now has got older and her daughter is now six, so she returned to work having taken the, her full um, period of maternity leave. She we kept in touch with her throughout. Obviously, she had a full pool money. We made sure that she was. Um, included in all information all parties invites anything that was being celebrated we just kept her as being a member of the team the whole way through she came back at the same level so she was a part-time assistant trainer she stuck we worked around whatever worked for her in terms of her hours and childcare and provision and and she did a mix of working in the yard and home working there was lots of stuff that Leanne could do for us remotely from home that worked around when her daughter, um, you know, when she had time that she could fit that around. So she started off coming back on about 30 hours a week. And now she now works full time hours because her daughter's now in school. Um, but she starts at 8 a.m. And she works 8 until 2.30. When the other guys go off and finish, um, 
anytime between 12 and 1, depending on the workload and the structure of our day and whether we're racing or not and so on. Leanne then continues to work in the yard. Obviously, I'm in the office by that point, having been yard-based through the morning. And so Leanne continues to work till 2.30. The vets love it because they have somebody um, that they can work with. They know they don't have to be with us first thing in the morning. They could come and, and work with us between uh, between 12 and 2.30. The farrier uses the opportunity often. Um, he looks after the yards as well. So there's lots of work ongoing in that time. And also, it's a time when Leanne can truly reflect on the morning she can plan you know I've already done the list for the following day by that point so then she uses that to construct the um you know the mucking out the walker list and that's that's how it works Leanne doesn't do evening stables she um uh she doesn't return for evening stables but we have a longer morning and a shorter evening which I know lots of people have adopted so we've got the bulk of the work done in the morning um so that evening stables is a reduced group of people anyway and it's given us the opportunity to develop the management skills of three other people who take responsibility in the evening. I love what Andrea says here about utilising the part-time return of one person to give others the opportunity to develop in their own careers. It's this kind of thinking where as employers, Claire and Andrea see a positive solution rather than a negative problem that sets them apart in the way they manage their teams. Tallulah mentioned in episode one that trainers don't often think of themselves as CEOs, but that is what they are. And I was really struck by that. In partnership with their husbands, Dan and Jed, Claire and Andrea are the bosses and effectively co-CEOs. I asked Claire how she'd gone about learning how to manage her staff from both a human and legal perspective and how she navigated that in her early days as a trainer. Yeah, um, so I actually started in accounting. Uh, So after graduating at Cambridge, I went to PwC um, and that was a great opportunity to be involved in a much bigger organisation and see how professional they are the kind of appraisal process, the development opportunities given to people. Um, And obviously part of the role was going out and auditing lots of different smaller companies. So then you're exposed to what their challenges are. So that was a great starting point. Um, I've been very lucky to work for fantastic trainers who cared about their team and seeing what they did in terms of their hours. Um, And then to be honest, in terms of legal stuff, the NTF is fantastic. You get a lot of support. Uh, They give you a lot of guidance, especially from day one, because there's always going to be areas that you've not come across before and you need to look it up to make sure you're doing it right. And it's fair. Um, So, yeah, I think we've had we've been lucky over the years. Um, But, yeah, when we then started up ourselves in training, it's so nice because you can bring in all the good stuff you picked up over the years um, and put it into place. And, yeah, in you slightly sometimes learn from trial and error um, in terms of hours or what works, what doesn't in terms of the demands of the job. And I think as your business grows as well, that puts other demands on your job that you hadn't considered, you know, four years ago um, and external challenges, of course, with COVID. So, yeah, it's always just maintaining that ability to adapt Uh, listen to your workforce that's why we love the appraisal process because it really gives them a chance to give us feedback as well as to what works Uh, team meetings uh, again you know if you've got stuff coming up involve them you know they come up with amazing ideas that you don't think of yourself 
Definitely. So tell us, you've mentioned appraisals a couple of times there, Claire. And one of the things that, again, came out of the workshops was the need for these open lines of communication and really clear communication between employers and employees, not just with regard to parenthood, but in general, really. Um, how Can you talk to us a little bit about that appraisal process that you do and how it works and how you kind of structure it with your staff to make sure that if and when the time does come for parenthood chats, that those lines are open? Yeah, I mean, overall, we try and have this open door policy, uh, which PwC was very like that, you know, to encourage people if they have an issue to come and knock on the door, don't dwell on it, because there's nothing worse than someone feeling uncomfortable or anxious that they can't come and speak to you. Um, The appraisal process probably just more formalizes certain aspects. um, And it just helps address so that actually you are paying attention to development goals or and, you know, obviously things around maternity, it can be very complex. Um, and it's making sure people, well, women and men feel comfortable that they can turn and talk to someone, you know, because there's a lot of challenges. You know, it's not straightforward. Uh, everyone's different in the experiences they have. In a training yard, the most obvious job that might become a little more tricky whilst pregnant is actually riding racehorses. They're flighty and fractious from time to time, and we all know that riding any horse, young or old, can be a risky business. I've known women who didn't want to disclose that they were pregnant in case they were told that they were no longer allowed to ride when they actually wanted to, and others who were made to feel guilty that they asked for alternative work as they didn't feel safe to ride. It's incredibly individual, as Andrea told me. I think that um, in our case we've been led by the person who's pregnant. I rode whilst pregnant with my first child but I had a very heavy fall after having my first child and broke my pelvis off uh, off an unraised two-year-old before I had my second child and then I thought at the time if I had been pregnant with that second child I, I may have lost that child and so for me when I became pregnant the second time I decided that's it the second I, I knew I was pregnant I actually stopped riding um, and that was my choice I'm lucky in that there was lots of um, other aspects of the job that I could do. But it, I think it's personal to the to the person. I agree totally with Claire. Everyone's experience of being pregnant is different. The first thing is to recognise that the person is not ill. And if the person, uh, when you sit down, when you know that the person um, tells you and shares their pregnancy news, then the first question and dialogue we have is, um, obviously in that risk assessment process with them, is asking them what do they want to do? Leanne rode until she could not fasten a body protector over a bump. Now, she's an uber talented rider, very competent, and she felt that um, she wanted to carry on riding for as long as possible. And obviously, she knew fully the risks. She knew the approach that I'd taken previously. Um, It was a very proactive discussion with her. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we had to be led by her. We've got a, a lady returning tomorrow, uh, a woman returning tomorrow from maternity leave, having had a second child. And she continued to ride to a point and then told us, actually, do you know, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't, you know, I don't want to. We just switched the role. There's so many jobs to do. You know, there are not enough hours in the day. Making sure that in every respect that the person is equally valued doing another job at the same level in the yard is just not difficult you know there's always so much to do and it also gives an opportunity for for them uh for the 
person who maybe would have been riding four lots to actually spend more time with the vets, spend more time developing the management skills, um, uh, the organisation of things, looking at can we uh, do things in a different way and so on. So it like it is an opportunity because instead of just having this defined path that you're following, you actually start to look at other ways of maximizing um, the workforce and also supporting the person in exploring other things and other aspects of the job that they might find equally as rewarding. Andrea is so right about the personal choice element and the need for good open conversations. The same applies for women returning to work after having a baby. I asked both Claire and Andrea about how they'd managed this process with their staff. Had they used keeping in touch days or allowed gradual returns to work? And how had it all panned out? Yeah, we've actually only had two ladies be on maternity leave and actually both uh, relocated closer to home, Um, which I thought was quite interesting. Hindsight looking back is, that you know, for that more support because we don't have children and hearing people's conversations about it, that obviously the cover, you know, the childcare cover seems to be a big thing for people. Um, I think the keeping in touch days is fantastic. And I have to admit, we didn't do that. And we've, now I've heard about it. I think that's fantastic because that is a big part of it ultimately. Is, um, well, we did do it, but probably not as, you know, systematic as, you know, I would do now going forwards. Our traveling manager, so he's a father. And so for him, you know, coming back to work and the, mater- the paternity leave, um, and then just the changing of hours a bit to make it work. So he wouldn't work the afternoon shifts at all. Um, but then obviously when racing's on, he goes racing. Um, and I know they really appreciate those afternoons off. Um, so they can sort the childcare cover so that Heather can also do work as well. Um, cause it's quite interesting. I've been chatting to quite a few people recently, um, in advance of this podcast to kind of hear people's experiences and yeah they just say that time immediately afterwards having a baby it's a very lonely time you know you go from a racing yard where it's very busy and there's lots going on and suddenly you are just on your own um and I know COVID really hit it even harder for people um so yeah having those keeping in touch days I think is a really good idea with um alana the lady the woman that's returning tomorrow um she we we knew about keeping in touch days by that point um progress and so she's she's had them she's used every single one of her keeping in touch days she managed to get childcare from family on a friday which meant she she could come in and do her 9 15 to 2 15 on a friday working around the nursery hours of her older child so we've kind of already trialed the hours that then she's coming back on because she's not coming back on to full-time hours um she's coming back on to 30 uh, 32 hours a week and then she's going to do one in three weekends um as is leanne because they want to because they want to kind of do that full aspect of the of the role and claire you you mentioned childcare there and that was definitely one of the things that um that came out again from the workshops and the interviews that were taken were undertaken for the research is that it's so incredibly difficult to find adequate childcare, even in the racing centres, you know, even in Newmarket, you know, where there's so many people working in racing, it's really hard to find nursery cover or kind of wraparound cover that 
that will help people with the kind of hours, you know, even to start at 7am, let alone earlier in the summertime. And, and, you know, a lot of people do rely on their families. As you said, you know, your staff have moved back to to be closer to family. And I think particularly in the industry we're in, a lot of people are so reliant on their family. Andrea, how did you cope with childcare when you had the boys? Because obviously you and Jed were in the thick of it, I guess. I was at home, obviously, with our first child. Um, he used to sit outside in his pram safely with us whilst Jed and I did Sunday morning stables and things like that, you know. But once we got to a stage where it was not possible to juggle, we had a childminder. One of the most difficult, challenging times as a parent was turfing my children out of bed when they wanted to just sleep and gradually wake up to have to have them dressed and ready so that I could get on my first lot at seven o'clock was really difficult because I used to take them down to my childminders. Um, and that I found that really difficult. And again, it, looking back to how did I want to make the situation better for the subsequent mothers in our business was that they didn't have to have that, that, you know, by starting at eight o'clock and the, the, the girl that's come back tomorrow, the woman that's come back tomorrow is starting at, at 9.15 because that works for her. She, with her, with her, uh, childcare arrangements and her nursery timings. She's actually starting at 9.15. She doesn't have to turf her children out of bed. Jed and I, for a long time, were like the little weather people where one person's outside and the other person's inside. Jed and I were like that. So I would do my work that I could juggle whilst Jed was outside and or racing or wherever. And then for every minute that Jed was back home that I could get into the office, Jed then took over so that that childcare was definitely like big sharing uh, partnership situation. But it also then means relationship wise, obviously, that you're either you're either uh, working or asleep. But, you know, that that's been a trainer, Claire, isn't it? So, you know. <laughs> Having a baby is a huge test for any couple, particularly when you run a business together, and especially when that business is a racing yard. There is so much going on with the staff, the horses, the owners, the kids, and the rest. It's so refreshing to hear Andrea being so honest about the juggle she faced. And she did have one more thing to add. On record, I'd just like to say that he got the best slot because he got the afternoon <laughs> snooze time. So so our youngest child, Nicholas, who was a, a prem baby, so probably needed a little bit more care and attention than, than the other two who were just very independent. Um, Jed, Jed and Nicholas used to get to watch something together on telly and then both have a little snooze. <laughs> so that, if that, that's the best childcare yeah, slot. Yeah, definitely. That is the best childcare slot. And actually, one of my friends said to me recently... It's ridiculous that people say, oh, you just sleep when they sleep, because then that's the only time you've got to have a shower or do some washing or anything else that you might like to try and get done. But yeah, the, um, one of the things I was also just going to touch on was about the sort of benefits to you guys as employers of of having parents around. Because I think, you know, we talk about this sort of leaky pipeline of working mothers leaving the racing industry because often they don't see a way to be involved. But Claire, what do you sort of see as the advantages that mothers can bring to your business as well? And and what is the business case for motherhood and, and working parents, do you think? I'm sure they bring a, you know, a fresh, different perspective. Um, you often hear mums are amazing at multitasking, obviously, <laughs> to achieve everything that they do in a day. Um, they're probably more, oh gosh, you suddenly, probably through your experience, you see and feel and do a lot and you're probably a come back a little bit more um, 
wiser to the world, I guess, because you've probably been alongside mothers who've been through stuff. You know, I'm sure you join like peer groups, don't you, once you've had children and those kind of opportunities really open your eyes to other people and how they feel and think. And yeah, I mean, we're a big believer in understanding how others feel and think all the time. And yeah, I mean, that kind of flexible working, it probably is pushing the whole workforce as a whole to consider it um, and be open to everyone having flexible, you know, yes, it's definitely important with families, but I'm a big believer also that the single person isn't the one that's always been turned to and said, well, you've just got to do the weekend cover because you are you don't have family, you don't have children, which is unfair. You know, they have got parents or brothers, sisters or friends. And it's important everyone gets a balanced life in that respect. I was just going to say that is such a good point. Um, like, I think it's so important. And as the mothers, um, the working mothers and father in Jed's case, they don't want to be seen to be treated differently. They don't want that. They want to feel equally as valid. They don't want people to be able to turn around and throw it back in them face that, you know, hang on a minute, you don't have to do this, that and the other. That's why now we've gone to one in three weekends. They're juggling their childcare arrangements to be able to do that one in three weekends. Nobody can throw back at them. Oh, hang on a minute, but you don't do evening stables between 4.30 and 5.30 because They've nicely gone home and had the lunch and had a nice afternoon and whatever and, and, and they've stayed and worked. And, and I think it's just so important, um, that it's not about being a parent. It's about being an employee with equal rights across the board. Most people return to work. A, because they have to financially, but B, because they actually want to be there. And I think a significant um, positive impact is that the mothers want to be back in the workplace and are so thrilled that they can actually do their job at the same level. And they're equally as valued and just as important as before. And they value being at work as a as a employee in the industry. They're not at work because they're a mum. They're at work because they want to be that employee equally valued. And that is really important. And I think that what they do do is they really want to be there because that loneliness that Claire touched on is very real. It's we're never lonely, Claire, in, in, in art because we've got people in our home all the time, 24 seven, either owners or employees. You know, we're surrounded by the horses and it's busy and it's lively. And when I had a baby, I never had a minute to myself because I've got adults around me all the time. But for, for the people on maternity leave, Claire's absolutely right. Those people get very lonely. And that's why that reaching out and that dialogue the whole time with the WhatsApp groups or the, you know, come in for if we're all having fish and chips or we won a pizza van through a competition last year or whatever, make sure that the person on maternity can come and bring baby with them to that in the safe environment, you know, because they are lonely. And they say that that is the biggest factor. They've gone from a busy, thriving working environment with lots of other adults to an environment that is so far removed that loneliness issue is a factor the loneliness that andrea highlights here is something that's just not discussed as often as it should be many people are used to working from home these days seeing minimal colleagues and liaising with them only on video calls but when you work in a yard or on a stud or at a race course you're used to busy buzzy environments surrounded by people and horses conversation and laughter And the juxtaposition between that busyness and being at home alone with a newborn, set against a background of sleep deprivation, can be really isolating and difficult. 
If you know someone who's got a new baby, maybe pick up the phone. They might just appreciate it. Both Andrea and Claire have previously been recipients of the Lysitz Team Champion Awards, which is a real testament to how they look after their staff and what brilliant teams they both run. I asked Claire why she'd wanted to be involved with the awards and what difference it had made to their business. Uh, ever since we started, I always wanted to create a really good team. Uh, one thing I'd noticed going from accounting world to working racing yards, there just weren't those development opportunities. You know, I came in, they just said, well, get on a horse and go. And I was like, well, I can ride, but I've never been up a gallop before. Um, and it's scary that kind of, you know, you just expected to figure it out. Um, and being a perfectionist like me, I wanted to do it right, but I didn't know how to do it right. Um that was a big thing. The split shift was a big thing. Um, you know, it's so hard on people because in that three hour break at lunchtime, what can you do? You know, you can't really get time to do a supermarket shop, see your friends, go to the cinema. Um, so yeah, we certainly wanted at Jeremy Nasida, who I worked for as assistant, he gave people afternoons off and I thought, what a great idea. We had to adapt it to fit a smaller yard. Um, but yeah, that was always very crucial for us. Um, the licensed team champion thing, um, I mean, that's just by the by, you know, we do what we do anyway. Um, it's nice to hear other ideas of what other yards have done successfully um, and put in place ourselves just to make you a better employer at the end of the day. You know, you want, um, as Andrea said, you want people to come to work and enjoy it. It's a big part of their life and you don't want them to think, oh, I've got this job that <laughs> I love the horses but I don't like the boss or I don't like the team yeah. and um have you how are you both doing for staff at the moment because certainly on the race course side you know being in the stables with the staff a lot we we hear a lot about the recruitment issues that are going on in the industry and and obviously the loss of working parents is is a factor in that you know that once people have had children their quiet disappearance from the industry I think is is acknowledged to be a part of that recruitment issue you know people not coming back to work for whatever reason how are you guys both doing for staff and have you seen changes in recruitment and retention in the last few years in particular no I mean we're good but you have to constantly work at it you can't just sit on your laurels and expect people to turn up on your doorstep you know you've got to keep changing adapting and treating your team well and you know there's always a dynamic and it's always constantly changing and if you pick up on something you've always just got to be aware and get that feeling oh you know someone's just not quite happy and address it you know speak to them and find out why and see if you can therefore change what's going on that's upsetting them it's not just about getting new well it is getting new people in obviously but as you say it's keeping the good people as well and people's lives change all the time and you've got to respond to it we're like claire we're um we're not actively looking for somebody. We've got someone that's hopefully uh, joining us next week. Um, but we haven't had a vacancy as such for sort of three or four years, really. Um, partly because obviously, as I, as, as I said at the outset, the reduction in numbers, what's happened is if somebody's relocated, we've had someone that's in a new relationship and moved location. We've had somebody else that, um, you know, has moved elsewhere for a promotion, um, that wouldn't have been available with us. Um, we haven't replaced them because that kind of natural, um, uh, 
the kind of um, downsizing of the number of horses, um, it's just meant that we haven't needed to replace them. Um, so we've not been in a position of needing to recruit. Um, having said that, we just, like Claire, we work really hard on retaining the good people that we've got. We we kind of tend to recruit people straight from college, out from either the National Horse Racing College or the British Racing School, because we enjoy working with young people and um, being involved in that education process. And that's served us really well, because if you do that really well, you either you have people then who work and love being part of the business and they're helping the business to develop and grow. But you also celebrate them if they then get the opportunity to move elsewhere. And, you know, on a morning we pass other strings and lots of the great, fantastic people that we've worked with have left us um, to to go, you know, for a change of scenery or a new job or a promotion or whatever. And I see that as being um, something to be proud of as a business, that the people are still in the industry many years later working for other people across the country. And I want to I want us to be known for that. I think that's really important that if you, um, you know, want to want an industry to thrive as an industry as a small business you can contribute to that it's not about you know some people have the perception that you need to go and you know go to the big yards that's where it's all going to happen and stuff and and I, I I disagree with that I think there's a role you know that doesn't suit everybody and there's lots of people that can start and develop very good careers and if they want to go to a larger yard further down the line um fantastic but I think that you know we can contribute very proactively to that process That's it for today. Thanks for listening and don't forget to follow the podcast to receive all new episodes as they land. It would really help us if you could rate the podcast and leave a review telling us what you'd like to hear about. This is a resource for you and everyone in the industry and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, so see you then.